What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Fear Being Average podcast. This is episode number four of the Health and Fitness series. On today's episode, I am joined by a good friend of mine and strength and mobility expert and coach, Matthew Bacon. On today's episode, we look at the topic of five common fitness and health trends that need fixing. So this, these at least are common trends we see regularly in the fitness and health industry that need some adjusting to make sure we are maximizing our performance and optimize how we're approaching each and every one of these sections. As always, guys, please feel free to rate the podcast, give it four or five stars, share it, comment, do whatever you got to do to get this podcast into more hands and ears and get people listening to it because obviously the more they know about these subjects, the better their training and health and performance is going to be. So guys, thank you so much. Enjoy this episode and of course, tune in continuously to see more and more great content here on the Fear Being Average podcast. Okay guys, what's going on? We have Matthew Bacon here, a buddy of mine, coach for a lot of you. For some of you, he's an expert strength coach um, and mobility coach as well. Uh and a head coach of F45, Ancaster, and Stony Creek. Or he's what? You're the regional now. What's that new role? I don't even role? know what they call me. <laughs> I don't even know what they call me. It's just I just a, do my job. It's just a hybrid. Yeah. It does the job well. <laughs> um, yeah, so we got a good episode today. Super happy to have a... You know what? I was thinking about this the other day, how I feel like when I talk on a podcast by myself, it's like me in class with no, none of my buddies. I'm very well-behaved, very structured. <laughs> And it's like a different kind of, per- not on purpose, it's just naturally when I'm around people, my personality gets a little little excessive, a little wild. Um, not today, sir, not today. No, no, so today we're, we're going to get after it. Um, so yeah, before we get into the topic, I guess, how's how's life? How, how's the lockdown? We're obviously getting back into things. Yeah, yeah. Lockdown. I, I mean, I've been I've been still doing all the virtual coaching. I still have my clinic that's open right now. So I've been out and about. I, I just I, I feel more for my wife than for me. She's got the hard job. having been at home with three kids trying to pretend she's a teacher all day. And uh, so I'm ecstatic for her that the kids are that the kids are back in school, man. Yeah. 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 How and about you? Did you, watch the, you watch the Super Bowl this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Week? I watched uh, TB12. Take care of business. The 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 goat. Officially, happy. I was so happy. Were you? Were you? Yeah. You rooting for him? Oh, huge, huge, big Tom Brady. I, I, uh, I, I hate when it bothers me when people say that they hate him because there's, I, I just don't understand how you hate an athlete of that caliber that's done that much. The only two reasons. There's only two reasons to hate Tom Brady. Reason number one, why most people hate him. These kicked your team's ass multiple times, right? Yeah. And you just hate him for that. Number two, you're mad because you can't be. Tom Brady. That's 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 a, the biggest reason. I think, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> he's got everything. Well, think, man. I was I was a Dolphins. Well, sorry, I'm, I am a Dolphins fan. So I played against Tom Brady for the last fifteen, six. Or my team played against Tom. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I gotta count it. Go. Part of that team, but for the last fifteen, sixteen years, right, and just getting smoked and dusted. And naturally, when you're a bit younger, is like there's all this resentment towards the guy. But you, when you get older, and you, you just appreciate what he's doing. Like at, at this point. Yep. In my career, or in their career, sorry, I'm rooting for a guy like Brady to win more championships. I'm rooting for a guy like LeBron James. Like, I want to see a legacy grow. I love I, I love it. I, I just, like, when, 
you, you got to put a couple things in perspective and really think about it. Number one, the guy has seven Super Bowl rings. The next closest is the Pittsburgh Steelers with six. So, you know, when you put that in perspective, and New England has six as well, but you put that in perspective, this guy has more titles than any franchise, and that was, what, Super Bowl 55 that we just watched? Yeah. So that's number one, right? Number two, this guy was in New England. Always, every All the haters always try and find some bullshit reason to excuse a victory, right? It's always, oh, he deflated the balls. Oh, whatever, he fucking, you know, drug the other team's water, whatever this bullshit reason is, the refs were on his side. He gets all the calls like, so year after year after year. And, and you made excuses for three Super Bowls, then four Super Bowls, then five, then six. Then he leaves New England and everybody goes, ah, he's fucking done. He can't win without Belichick. He's gone to Tampa to retire. Like all the old people do in Florida goes and pops his head in the dressing room, goes, Hey fellas, you want to win a Super Bowl? Gotcha. <laughs> and goes and wins the fucking Super Bowl at 43 years old. How do you, how can you not look at that and just put your hands up and go, I, I give up. You're the best. You're like, no one has done anything even remotely close to what you've done. Yeah. Like it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, think about that. It's like, it's like if MJ and MJ, what MJ's credentials are and what he did is like obviously unmatched too, but it's not like he left and went to the Washington wizards and won a championship there. Right. And again, I know that's no. a massive difference, but I'm just saying like, no one's done what Tom Brady's done. Like no one's, Left a team at clearly at like probably like their their lowest point in their career in terms of age at least, and led a team to a championship right like it's just it's like yeah their their team is stacked they're good but I guarantee they wouldn't have won it with James Winston like they wouldn't have won the championship like it is what it is right like you yeah you had to have think, Tom Brady for this I one. think a telltale a telltale stat man like so last year the Bucks are seven and nine right. Then they go, Tom Brady goes, and yeah, Gronk went too, fine. But, I mean, Gronk's old too, man. No, he's, you know, he's young. Gronk, he's just, he's just. Was he beat up? He he's like 20, Gronk, he's, like, he's, like, he's, like, he's like 29, 30. No way. Is he yeah, young? man. He's, he, looks like he's, he looks like he's 41. <laughs> but regardless of whether or not, regardless of who, who went with him, right? So you have you have Tom Brady who goes, he goes over to, to Tampa at 43 years old, takes a team that's 7 and 9 brings home a Super Bowl title. Former team, New England, finishes the year 7-9. and nine, yeah. I think. I'm pretty sure on that. But regardless, like, you watch those teams. It was almost like that one player. It was just like that old adage, right? There's no bad teams. There's only bad leaders. You have a good leader, you can put him in any team, he's going to be successful. Right? Like, that guy is a leader. That guy takes other people around him and makes them significantly better at what they do. And he does it with ease. And he was able to, at 43 years old, at an age where most people are long done, long done, dominate, dominate the yeah. former Super Bowl or last year's Super Bowl champions. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it's wild. And 50 touchdowns in the regular season, right? And and a great influencer, man. The guy brought over, well, brought Gronk out of retirement. That's the only way Gronk was coming out was to play as Tom Brady. Um, you know, brought yep. Leonard Fournette over, brought Antonio yep. Brown out of insanity, right? Which seemed, which, which seemed like it was going to be impossible. Like the guy literally lost his mind eight months ago yeah. and for him to want to play with Tom Brady and kind of get his shit together. I'm not saying he was a huge asset necessarily, but he's still, he's still Antonio Brown. So, you know, like that's, that's huge in his own, right? His own right. Bringing those guys over that want to play for you. And that's a big thing for a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Let's do this thing. What do we got? What are we, what are we talking about today? You got it written on that whiteboard behind you? I do, no, man. On the little book in front of me. The whiteboard's for extra special occasions, you know? That even though, like, even though this is like, pretty uh, extra, but... You ever watch Homeland? That looks like Carrie's wall. That's with all the strings attached. Don't get the re- don't don't get the reference, but I know the show. I've heard of the there show. Um, who who's the star of that one? Uh, Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Yeah. Not, you're not selling me on it, but okay. It's good. No, it's I know. I, I heard. I heard it's good. It's heard it's good. I know. I'm watching. You'll you'll pre- right. you'll appreciate this. Sorry. Before we get in, um, I'm starting to watch Parks again. Parks and Rec. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Be- show. Beauty show. Five ep- five, five episodes in. Loving it. I already already watched it, but like this will be my second time around, so feels fresh. Ron Ron is one of the greatest <laughs> characters in TV history. <laughs> so. He likes his bacon wrapped shrimp, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, let's do let's do this thing. All right, guys. So the episode today, we're looking at five common fitness and health trends that need fixing. Okay. So this is a good one. Halsey, <clears throat> Matt, and I were thinking about what a good topic would be to discuss. Matt's basically become the Ancaster ranter. So he'll he'll go on Instagram and he'll really kind of debunk some stuff. And, and it's all credible stuff. It's all stuff I agree agree with. Um, and I think it just gets to the point that you see a lot of dumb shit being done by people or, or wrong stuff being done. Um, and that can just be from you know wrong information being read or reading one source and completely blindly following it for the rest of your life. So our role... An intent today is to provide a little bit of that insight of how to take some of these common fitness and health trends and make them advantageous for the everyday worker outer, exerciser, human being. So that way you can maximize your training, you can maximize your health, maximize your performance. That's kind of the goal of this one, right? To make sure you're doing stuff properly and not going down a path or a road that's going to get you to failure uh, a lot sooner, right? We want success here. So, number one, we're going to start off with elimination diets okay so elimination diets i'll kind of just give you a broad understanding and perspective of what that is it's basically we're eliminating a certain food or eliminate eliminating something from your diet you can't touch this some common popular examples would be the ketogenic diet okay very very low carbohydrate diet around 50 grams of carbs or less then you have the paleo which is Obviously, very low carb as well, more of a caveman diet. So think about what would a traditional caveman eat back then? What would he have had access to, right? Meat, nuts, berries, fruits, vegetables, that kind of stuff. Then you have your vegans and your vegetarians, which obviously don't eat meat. Um, then you have the carnivore diet, which is you're eating all meat, right? So zero carbs, um, basically foods that only walked, swam, or flew, you're eating. And then you can eat some lard and bone marrow, all that kind of stuff. So those are elimination diets, right? And from a long-term health perspective, Matt's like, I can see he's chomping at the bit. He's ready to jump in this <laughs> battle. Good, um, elimination diets tend not to work very well long-term, right? Because our body works as a whole ecosystem right just so to clarify fats and proteins are absolutely essential you need those to live yes you don't carbs are not essential in that you won't die if you never eat another carb again but they do provide us a ton of healthy benefits so i'm gonna let matt kind of go into this one what are your thoughts obviously we know elimination diets aren't a good thing long term for specific people i always like to say it depends a ketogenic diet might de- might be better for one individual than the other, and there might be some you know benefits to the carnivore diet, like fighting off depression, arthritis, and diabetes, all that stuff. 
But why are elimination diets not the best thing for the majority of people? Go ahead, bud. Whoa. It's a big, big topic to tackle. (laughs) Um, First of all, I'll start by saying that no matter what we talk about here and no matter what my opinion is, um, I am not recommending that anybody run out and try anything that I say without doing your own research first. And I think that is a point that needs to be made uh, because I think people are far too easily influenced by Uh, something they've read, something they've watched, something they've heard, something someone they trust has told them. And I also think on the flip side of that coin, a lot of coaches um, are borderline negligent and reckless when they're prescribing certain diets to certain people. And I think think it's on other subjects, and I think it's kind of a situation sometimes where it's like you need to know when it's your turn. You know what I mean? And if you are not, if you don't have years of practice and helping people with their diets, I think as a 23-year-old male coach, for example, to tell a female who's had three children to go on a keto diet is fucking reckless. I think that that's, you know, I think that you lack a very fundamental understanding of how the body works and of human nutrition. So that's that's all. I'll preface everything by saying that I think that we are far too easily influenced and I think that we trust people too easily. Um, Elimination diets, though, we can take them. We can just talk about them back and forth if you want. But they're, they're almost set up to fail from the beginning. And there's I think the most for the most part people are always looking for a solution to a problem that isn't necessarily there. You know, I I think that we see that a lot, you know, like we even see healthy people, for example, if you take somebody like my build, you know, I'm probably right now walking around at seven and a half, eight percent body fat every day, totally fine. I have a very eclectic diet. I eat a wide array of foods. My metabolic health is top notch. Why the fuck would I ever cut out carbs? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like what what purpose does that serve me now? Because I I like to speak intelligently on these things, I've tried almost every diet that, you know, we're going to talk about. Um, And I tried a keto diet. I I lasted about two months and I'd never felt worse, man. I I don't know. I don't know why you would ever choose to feel like that. It just I lost anything explosive I was trying to do, um, anything performance related. I felt like I had zero fifth gear. I felt like it was just gradually sucking the life out of me. And that's essentially what it does. And people get trapped in this aesthetic pursuit and where they're willing to sacrifice long term metabolic health for a short term result. Right. So that's what we do. We go on a keto diet. What's the goal of a keto diet? It's certainly not to live as healthy as we can as human beings, because it's ludicrous. We don't know enough about it. There's hardly any actual long term research. There can't be. It's too new. Right. There's very little study on what, you know, the 15 year effects of putting your body through six months a year of ketosis are going to be. So it's it's this situation where we're trying to accomplish something in a short period of time we're always looking for a quick expedited solution to every goddamn problem that we have in our lives where we are so much better off if you just focus on your long-term overall metabolic health 
and that doesn't have to mean excluding diets it's certain or excluding certain foods it certainly shouldn't mean that you should remove carbs from your diet to me that's that's the craziest one and and i always i i just i struggle with it so much because no matter how much research and reading i do on the low carb no carb keto front like i just i feel like there's such a lack of fundamental understanding of of you know, sugar's role, for example, in the human body. Mm-hmm. And I, str- I just struggle with it. I just, I, I think it's crazy. I, I don't think it's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Like my, my biggest issue with elimination diets, um, because you're right, a lot of the times people that are trying elimination diets, they're looking for that immediate kind of fix. They're looking to obviously lose a lot of weight, which again, that's a, that's a whole different perspective shift. Like why do you want to lose weight? Is it really the weight you want to lose? Most people just want to look better and feel better. It's not really the number on the scale that matters. So right off the bat, they have a completely different goal that really shouldn't be their goal, right? If they knew any better and had the... Um, you know, education provided to them, they'd understand that the scale number on the scale isn't the big issue. It's how you look and how you feel, right? Um, So what we see when I find with elimination diets, it creates a very poor relationship with food, right? It's we start kind of going black and white with things like carbs are bad, fats are good, too much protein's bad, too much protein's good, you know, and just back and forth or now you're, you're starting to exclude really important macronutrients and potential micronutrients from your system based on a completely misguided understanding of what role each of these macronutrients have in terms of giving you the health benefits and the performance benefits that you need to ultimately thrive in everyday life, in the gym, mentally, physically, so eliminating things without the knowledge of why you're doing so is very dangerous and it kind of creates this uphill battle and this yo-yo effect where your body's never going to really get what it needs to have a long-term healthy results. Yep. Yep. I even I put a post up um, I, last week sometime where I uh, – Somebody asked me, somebody DM me and they, they asked me a question. I said, are you, are like you, are you anti-vegan? And I was like, I, I'm surprised I come across as that. Like I said, no, certainly not. I, I'm certainly not anti-vegan. I I've have currently and have privately consulted, trained, coached countless vegans and vegetarians. And I, I don't have to, you know, I said in the post, like I don't have to agree with somebody to try and help them. But I think even when it comes to a vegan diet, can you can you live can you can you have a very healthy, well-rounded diet as a vegan? Absolutely, absolutely, you can. But it, it takes far more effort. It really does. And and I think and I said in my post, and this is what like somebody wrote back. I can't remember what they wrote. I ended up in a brief conversation about it. But I just said like it, the the biggest. The most important point to having a well-rounded vegan diet is going into a vegan diet with the fundamental understanding that there are puzzle pieces missing from the box, right? And if if you can, but the first step to correcting that is acknowledging that there are fucking pieces missing, mm-hmm. right? And I find that that, and not to generalize, but I find often with vegans, that's the problem. You enter this conversation with them having the, the you know, the profound belief that by not eating meat, that they have made a they've made a good health decision, and and you can't try and convince them otherwise. Often, so it's it, it's trying to help a vegan understand that like you're you're starting this puzzle with pieces missing. Mm-hmm. So you need to acknowledge first of all that they're missing. If we just keep on saying no, that's a complete puzzle. No, I got all the pieces. I got no, everything's good. We got all the pieces. Like 
you're, you're always going to end up with an incomplete puzzle. First step is acknowledging there are pieces missing. Figure out for you what those are. If you're a vegan, for example, incredibly important to get blood work done. Get a full blood panel done. You know, see what see what everything from your blood lipid to your, your micro numbers are and, and get that data so you can look and go, OK, well, you know what? Maybe I'm maybe I'm iron deficient. Maybe I'm B12 deficient. Maybe I'm K2 deficient, like whatever it is. And you can try and correct that. But you, you have to understand that by eliminating foods from your diet, you are creating holes in your health. Yeah. Absolutely. And that goes kind of, you would think it would go without saying, right? That if you're eliminating something, something's missing, right? Like you're not going to replace it with something else necessarily, but you got to find that, that really proper solution. So based on elimination diets, let's talk really quick. Let's talk the role, right? Proteins are obviously essential for so many functions within the body. Um, obviously a big role, organ health and, and building lean muscle tissue and preserving lean muscle tissue, you know, increasing your metabolic rate, great for bone density, strengthening the, the joints, all that kind of stuff. Carbs, obviously, is you know super effective for performance, and you know to if we're a little bit too more too much cortisol in our system, right? They're good for regulating that hormone as well. Um, a lot of good stuff right there, right? I think I think that that is one of the often most often overlooked and most incredibly important points uh, when it comes to carbs and when it comes to sugars specifically. Um, the there has been so much, so much research to show, like, it's almost inarguable at this point that there is a correlation between sugar consumption and cortisol levels dropping, right, a reduction in cortisol. So the problem is when you take, and you see this in a lot of the data, when you take carbs and you take sugars out of the diet, you see a spike in cortisol, right? There is some clinical data to show that over time that that will kind of level out and cortisol levels will regulate themselves. But what we don't know is at what cost is that occurring then? Because the endocrine system is a phenomenally intricate system that even the, the, the and most intelligent experts on planet Earth don't completely understand the relationships of certain hormones and how they interact with one another, right? So if you have, if you're taking something out of your diet that's causing a negative spike, of a hormone, cortisol, for example, that then becomes anabolic to fat, catabolic to muscle growth, and then you com or you combine that almost always with a decrease in testosterone because they're kind of a teeter totter, right? We all know that when cortisol levels drop, test levels typically mm -hmm. drop or rise, test levels typically drop. So then, by removing sugars, you have to. I'm not saying that you can't have a successful result temporarily on a keto diet, but that's like you need to look at these things, right? Like you need to consider the consequence of removing sugar, for example, from your diet and what that's going to do long-term to that cortisol-testosterone relationship, for yeah. example. And understand what your goal is. What are you training for right now? If you're training yeah. for fat loss, which the majority of people are, right? They're looking to burn a lot of fat, create lean muscle tissue, and they're involving themselves in HIIT-style <laughs> workouts, and they're doing a ton of volume. So their frequency in the gym is quite high, and everything is at a, at a fairly high intensity like your body at that stage of training needs the most amount of carbs. Like yeah. it just is what it is, man. If you're putting your body through that much stress, because again, exercise produces an acute stress, right? But if we don't supply it with the proper dietary, um, you know, I guess helpings, we're not going to reduce the, the, the cortisol and, the, and we're going to have more of a chronic elevated cortisol level, right? So we need to understand what are we trained for? What are we actually doing right now? And how do our, our dietary 
um, habits match what we're actually trying to achieve right now. And then there might be times where those phases, you know, interlooped and, and you can lower your carb intake and you increase it or whatever it is, you can play around with it, but not knowing, you know, what your training looks like and, and what your goals are is going to leave you a little bit in the dark of what's the best approach for me currently right now. Yep. Okay. My man, we live in a world where people gave up meat because they watched a Netflix documentary. Yes, so yes. this is how easily influenced people are. I have friends that gave up eating meat because of either what the health or game changers. And when they t- like, I'm just like, did you watch the other movie? What other movie? I don't know. The other one that says something different or did you just watch that one? No, I just watched that one. Oh, the one that says that if you eat meat, your blood, when you draw it, it looks like motor oil. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, because that's got like it's, it was just so over the top nonsense that like I, I was honestly like there were times in the movie I was almost laughing out loud and thinking like, my God, if you're at home and you actually believe that this is true, you're a moron. Like you just. Yeah. Like it's proper, oh, it's propaganda, right? Yeah. You, you have, oh, you have, you have like, certain you know, films that are produced and budgeted from people that have <laughs> a connection to that field of interest, yeah. right? Like, like, did you know that Game Cha- Game Changers was in, co-produced by James Cameron, for example, who just prior to making the film, um, I don't quote me on the number; we'd have to look it up, but put like countless million dollars into a pea protein company. You know what I mean? So, like. Yeah. I'm not saying that he didn't believe in what he, the bullshit he was selling in the movie, but you know, is there an ulterior motive? How can there not be like if there's always a product, right? There's always a product behind a diet. There's a product behind the keto diet. There's a product behind the paleo diet. And the reason why it's keep put, it keeps getting pushed and it's in the media is because there's more and more books. There's more and more movies. There's more and more, you know, it's, it, you're just constantly bombarded with people trying to sell you shit. And anybody who's good at it is going to seem credible. They're going to seem legit. And the one thing that we seem to have got away from as a culture is paying attention to how the fuck we feel when we eat certain foods. You know what I mean? Like, how do you feel regardless of what, you know, Joe Smith says in his book that just because it has a, the letters MD beside it, you know, you assume that this guy knows his shit nutritionally, right? Just because it says it in his book, how do you feel when you, when you do this, when you're putting the work in, like, you know, if you remove carbs from your diet, you're taking whatever your diet is, whatever this new experiment that you're, you're participating in is like, how are you gauging the result? And the one way that you can do that is by intensely working out, for example, right? But if, if the hardest thing that you do in a day is take the dog for a walk, it's really hard to determine whether or not you're benefiting from the dietary change that you've just made. You need to have some type of level of performance activity in your everyday routine to understand if your performance is suffering or it's improving, mm-hmm. right? But that's another problem. It's just like it, it's, it's never, it's just this cycle of, as I said before, people searching for solutions to problems that don't exist. It's crazy. Yeah. Long-term success at the end of the day, you want to have a healthy relationship with food. You want to have a well-balanced diet. You can't go wrong there, right? You're going to have way less metabolic you know, disruptions. You're going to feel way better. You're going to obviously be giving your body the nutrients it absolutely needs from all perspectives. And then from there, then you can start individualizing. If you need to decrease carbs, you need to increase carbs, you need to increase protein, decrease protein, whatever the case is from there, then get specific. All right, guys. Number two, excessive overdoing workouts. So 
again, we've talked a lot about cortisol, for example, so far. And like I said, you get that acute spike when you work out, when you exercise, right? You have that acute cortisol spike. Um, and it comes a point, though, if you keep overdoing it and you're someone who likes to go to the gym five, seven days a week or you're, you know, you're a double hitter, right? You'll do, you'll do one class and then you'll stay for the next and you'll bang out another workout and you're there for two to three hours straight. That's not necessary. Like it really isn't. Like the body works in a very kind of straightforward way, right? You stimulate the body, you provide it some stress and stimuli with an external load or your body weight, whatever the case may be, and then you allow it to recover. And then with the proper recovery, with dietary, you know, habits and recovery practices, then you allow it to adapt appropriately, right? Get a bit stronger, faster, uh, leaner, all that fun stuff. But if we keep doing more and more and more and throwing more fire or coal on the engine whatever the hell you want to call it your, your body doesn't get a chance to recover doesn't get a chance to adapt and at, for a lot of people again they restrict their growth hormone and their testosterone and all those anabolic hormones and they start releasing more of the catabolic hormones because they're constantly in this state of chronic stress and it's just it's just doing too much right so matthew take it away in terms of why people need to start thinking less is more this uh, the the way that I try and coach this to people is is you need to take more than just the you know the goal or the aesthetic goal or whatever is in, in into account. So for example, bio individuality of the human being can in great part determine the intensity and the length of time that that person can train for. Uh, also, their age, you know, where they're where they are in their life, what are their stresses, how stressful is their job, for example. And as you said, like if we get an acute cortisol spike from a measure of physical activity, then that person is at a, a stressful job all day, where they're in charge of you know other people's money, for example, and they, they they have that stress, and then they're a father, and they have kids, and then they come to the gym, and the and the workout is just overly intense. It will be a negative result, right? There is people have to. They have to detach themselves from the notion of like maximal intensity leading to optimal growth. I think that would be a good way of putting it. You know, like try and detach yourself from that from that thought that maximal intensity all the time Mm -hmm. is going to lead to an optimal growth outcome because it will not. It will not. You should be training the vast majority of your time in the 75 to 80 percent effort range. Right. You should not be, and there are different schools of thought, and we could talk all day about different types of periodization and, and, and why they work and why they don't. But when you look at very educated coaches and how they train even elite-level athletes, do you think elite-level athletes are going to the field or the rink or the gym and they're training with maximal intensity every day they go in there? That's outrageous. You know, like even sprinters, that's all they do. That's all they compete at. Sprinters sprint maybe two days a week. They're not sprinting maximal effort for extended periods of time six days a week. Because they can't. They, they, they literally couldn't do it. Absolutely you can't. And you'll get hurt. You know, even like you'll suffer metabolically. You will, you'll, you'll suffer injuries that will set you back as an athlete. But I think that that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like people want this result, right? And it's this weird, it's this kind of weird paradox where we have on one hand, you got this group of people that, and you'll always have them that feel like, you know, the more effort they put in, the better the result is going to be because we've always been told that since we were little kids, like the harder you work, the better the result, the more effort you put in, the more reward you're going to reap. Right. That's not, that's not necessarily true. Effort 
in terms of fitness can be taking time to do something that's a little bit more slow but necessary, for example, like some mobility work or some stretching. Often your time would be better spent doing that so the performance in the workout the coming few days is going to be elevated as opposed to spending 30 minutes, an additional 30 minutes at the end of your workout where your effort level is shit because fatigue has become a dramatic factor. You're compromised while you're working out. Your lifts are going to shit. Like Just spend that time doing something more intelligent, and I promise you, you will benefit from that more than you will trying to just work, 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 work all the time. Yeah, from a psychological standpoint, that's tough for people to understand, right? Like they're they, they, They're programmed to think... You know, the, the harder I work out, the heavier weight I lift, the better for me. And yeah, to an extent, that makes sense. But you can't take that and multiply it by added frequency, right? You got to play that game. So an external, like external stresses matter, man. Like, yeah. So for example, if you take somebody who's an elite level athlete, you take an NHL hockey player, or a UFC fighter or something like that, and that is their job. That's their focus of their life, Right. Yes, they can train for two and a half, three hours a day because, A, their bodies are designed to do that by that, that point in their life. Yeah. But they have constant access to treatment. Like, that's the biggest difference, right? With people who are professional athletes, yeah, they can train for extended periods of time, but they also immediately are hopping into cold tubs, getting massages, getting therapeutic work done. They have access to anything that they need. And as a human being, as Joe, who sells life insurance in Toronto and then goes and crushes it at the gym for two and a half hours after work, we know the motherfucker doesn't stretch. You know, he might get in the sauna with all the other old naked dudes for 10 to 15 minutes and think that it's going to limber him up. And then he goes home, goes to bed, gets up, gets in his car, sits all day, gets back in his car, takes a shit and sits, goes and eats dinner and sits back to the gym and then rips a 400-pound deadlift. Joe, you're out of your mind, bro. You're out of your mind. Like <laughs> I like this Joe guy. I like his intensity. <laughs> You know what I mean? But that's that's so many people, right? Like, that's so many people. Yeah. And it's just crazy. It's like you don't need to spend that much time working physically if the rest of your life is even relatively on point. Yeah. A, so a good way to approach this, a good kind of solution to this in terms of if you are – now, for me, I love going to the gym, right? It's tough to not find me in a gym on a day. So – if I, but I don't want to go in. I don't want to shoot in either, right? So a good approach is to set your intention. So, so, so you go into the workout knowing what you want to accomplish. Because I know if I, because if I go in there with my ego, I'm gonna be like, yes. man, I'm gonna bang today, and I'm gonna lift, I'm gonna crush weight. So I might say, hey, Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays are my go-to high intensity days. Intensity means weight guys not how fast i go it actually means weight so i'm gonna have a high intensity day where i'm gonna push my body maybe you know and so let's just say in a circuit type workout or a class environment i'm gonna go really hard with my workout from a more hypertrophy you know you're in a solo gym environment that might be my heavy squats and my deadlifts and my bench presses and all that fun stuff then the other days i'm having the intention to say okay i can't go hard like i did on monday so i'm going to supply myself with a mobility day or I might do a trigger session, which is to get some blood flow, get some oxygen to the muscle, you know, release some lactic acid, that kind of stuff. Get rid of the waste in my muscle, but keep the body moving, do some stretch work. So my intention then is I want to be strong and better for my Wednesday workout, right? I want to heal up and I want to feel good for my Wednesday workout. So when I go in there, I'm not I'm putting my ego aside and I, I and I'm eliminating the opportunity for me to get all jacked up on 
going heavy and hard hard that day because I know that's not what I'm trying to accomplish on this particular workout. This is a different thing I'm trying to do. Yeah. I um what it, it, you said so many things in there that just boil down to like going into going into the gym prepared. I just have a plan. Have a plan, you know, like I am I am a very spontaneous person. Like, you know, we know yep. each other well. I like to just do shit at the drop of a hat. I don't like to plan every moment of my day, but I will never enter a workout without knowing what I'm going to do. It's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And you see that's like you, you go into a good life, just stand in the corner, you know, put a camera on it and just watch how many guys just step into the free weight area and just start looking around, man. Yeah. You know, they're just like, what's available? Yeah, what's available? They're looking for ideas, right? And then the problem with looking for ideas is you ultimately will always gravitate to what you're good at because no one's going to go, ah, I'm going to try out something new that might make me look like an ass in front of that hot chick over there. You know, it's just you get stuck in these patterns. And I think if I were to honestly say that the, the biggest mistake that most, particularly men, will say everybody, but particularly men make when they go into the gym is that they train in only the sagittal plane. Yeah. Right? It's like it's just one dimensional. Like it's just up, down, forward, back, up, down, forward, back, in and out, up and down, just the whole workout. And all those exercises are great, but they don't really lead to great development if that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like deadlifts, back squats, bench presses, curls, bent rows, lunges, all that shit. Fantastic. It's all the same fucking direction. Right, like, how often do you? Now you see will. Now you will put on fantastic muscle with that. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. But, Listen, I'm not saying don't do that. Absolutely, yeah. you need to do this. You know, like I'm. So, I was a. I, I was a competitive Olympic lifter. Like my yeah. whole goal in the gym was two lifts. You know, but <laughs> but that's that's the problem with most people's development, and they limit their growth because they only train doing one thing. Like, how many guys do you honestly see, man, doing anything rotational? Mm-hmm. in a workout whether it's even either like cable twists or throwing medicine balls or whatever axe chops anything like taking a bar in a landmine and fl- you know like what there's so many different national rope but you never see that shit people train in straight lines and that's a great opportunity that one of your days can be hey i'm gonna do rotational work right i'm gonna do i'm gonna do things yeah. like we're, we're gonna get into a topic in, in a little bit but different exercises that you can incorporate in your routine that are you know specifically designed to work on different planes of motion and get you strong in different positions and they're really functional positions actually if you think about your body how often are we robotically walking forward and back yeah there's certain things that we do obviously but there's a lot of times that we're rotating we're picking things up from the side and putting things yeah, down we're constantly it's moving really our shit. body that's that way so it will benefit you guys. Um, so, yeah, definitely make sure that we're taking that time. Because remember, if you keep going, 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 not only will the results suffer, but you're going to be fatigued. You're going to have a lot of neurological damage. You're going to have problems sleeping, which is going to affect our recovery um, recovery issues right here. And your metabolic rate will go down, right, because your body's being told. If I were someone to go do three classes in a row or stay at the gym for three hours, I'm probably going to burn a lot of calories. But what happens is our body's going to adapt because it's going to say, man, this person, like how can I try to build muscle when I'm constantly asking the body to take calories away? Like muscle is a very expensive tissue and we're not going to increase our metabolic rate when I constantly keep doing a workout, right? That's why that long distance runners, they're not very muscular individuals because they can't afford to have that 
tissue there because it's too expensive and they're going to burn way too many calories on a long distance run. Same thing if I keep trying to hang out at a gym for two to three hours or I'm constantly trying to push the limits. Okay, guys, number three, under eating to improve. If you're watching this on film, I just did quotations around improve, but under eating to improve body composition. So this is the idea that, hey, I want to look better, so I'm going to eat less and I'm going to eat less than less and I'm going to keep eating less. And that is uh, antiquated solution to what you're trying to accomplish and, and i'm not saying reducing your calories won't have you lose weight right it, it can and it probably will if i'm eating 3,000 calories for maintenance and all of a sudden i start eating 1500 yeah i'm gonna slim down i'm gonna lose some weight now in terms of improving body composition and long-term health effects it's not going to be very effective when i think of body composition it's looking better it's looking stronger it's looking more defined more toned more symmetrical right i don't want to just lose weight and lose a whole bunch of muscle that doesn't make my body composition composition look any better than it does right now so under eating thinking you're doing yourself a service you're actually doing yourself a disservice and i'm sure matt can um reiterate right now when i work with clients i'm telling you 80 percent of the time right now when i work with an average client that's not obese the problem isn't overeating it is under eating food. It is under eating protein. Their their protein um, consumption is probably a hundred grams to seventy grams less than it needs to be. So it's under consuming those important macronutrients that the body needs to build. And and again, we want, we're trying to build muscle tissue. Lean muscle tissue is our friend because why? I just talked about it. It's a very expensive tissue. So we're going to naturally increase our metabolic rate. It means we get to burn more calories at rest compared to having to constantly manually burn calories. And like Matt was saying, if you're someone who's working at a desk all day long and you have one hour to work out, it would be pretty beneficial if your body can automatically burn calories when you're just doing your everyday stuff like sitting at a desk. I will say, I will say this because I, I think a lot of this goes back to what I was saying before. When it boils down to, in the quest of a short-term goal, you create a long-term problem, right? But I think we just need to put like the idea that you can get strong or build muscle on a limited calorie diet is just insane. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to say it like you are a living breathing growing thing. Has anybody ever had a pet? Has anybody ever had a fucking plant, a tree, anything? You find me one thing on planet Earth that gets stronger or bigger when you don't feed it anything anything you as mark and jill at home in your living room are not going to be the first two living creatures on earth who are going to get stronger bigger better faster by feeding yourself less but here's here's the here's the problem you're 100 percent right but when you just said the more majority of people are going to hear that and go well i don't want to get bigger i don't want to get stronger i don't want to get faster they're like, I just want to lose fucking weight. 
or look better. Okay, and then, so but that's the thing let's is, put it this way. you you want to look better and you want to perform and feel better. And what Matt just said is gonna get you looking and feeling better, guys. I don't care. Absolutely. It just is what it is. The more muscle mass you put on, the more metabolically active you become. And I know we all know that, but that's an important point. And going back to what you were saying before, where you have to eat, like you have to consume calories. And the problem with with people's development is is more often than not undereating, not overeating. And it's really hard. This is one of the most difficult things to have a conversation about. Yeah. It's so hard to convince people of this. It's so hard to convince somebody that's trying their best to lose weight and hasn't been successful that the reason that they're not successful is because they're limiting themselves too much. That's a really difficult concept for most people to understand. And I don't think we have time on this podcast to go into an intricate discussion on why that is. But you need when it comes to if we're speaking specifically on growth and i understand that was a fair point but you said like a lot of people are going to hear that and say like well i'm not looking to get bigger i'm not saying bigger i'm saying stronger Mm -hmm. and if you aren't looking to con if you're not constantly in the pursuit of performance growth or strength growth as a human being physical mental what that whatever that may look like for you i'm not interested in being your coach so I'm not on here trying to appeal to somebody who's trying to be as skinny or as thin as possible. Like, I don't give a fuck about them, quite frankly. Like, I'll love you as a human being outside the gym, but your goal to be as low body fat and as little as you possibly can so you can fit into the newest pair of skinny whatever the fucks, I don't care. I don't want any part of your fitness journey. That's not what I want. I will help you if it's in a group environment, but if I'm being totally honest, I find those people boring. I find you boring. If your only goal is to be skinny, you suck. You're boring, right? <laughs> Get a perf- I just, I can't, you know, like, I, I can't. Like, it, it, it's just such a, it's such a sad way to live your life. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, when we were talking earlier about fad diets or about uh, elimination diets, like, the, the you know how many people will lose 15 pounds, put it back on, lose 30 pounds, put back on 20, lose 25. Who gives a fuck? Seriously. Like who cares? That's not an accomplishment. Anybody can do that. And any coach, no matter how limited their experience is, can help an overweight person lose 15 to 20 pounds. Just stop eating. Because your friend's personal trainer helped your overweight friend lose 30 pounds, that does not make them good at their job. That does not mean that they know what the hell they're talking about or can help you. Right? But, man. Guys, guys. Er Go on hours on this. It's just it's it's so crazy to me that that is ever a goal of a human being. Your goal as a human being should be stronger. Life gets better in every regard when you increase your physical and your mental strength. Your well being as a human being improves. Stop trying to make yourself weaker by making yourself skinnier. It's a terrible goal. If that and I said if that's your goal, if your goal is to be as skinny as possible, good on you. Live your life. I want no part of your fitness journey. And guys, that's good stuff. Matt and I as coaches, if I'm dealing with somebody who wants to lose 20 to 30 pounds, 15 to 30 pounds, whatever the range is, within the first couple of months, a proper coach isn't going to want to see that scale move too much. If you think within the first three months and you're working with myself or you're working with Matt that we want you to drop 15 pounds in three months, like you're mistaken. I do not want to see that scale because guess what? We're not putting on 15 pounds of muscle in three months and that's a, that's a poor exchange right there. I want to have a fairly even exchange of fat loss and muscle gain. So that might look like we lose 5 to 10 pounds of fat in three months, 
and we put on five to 10 pounds of muscle in three months. Now, let's just say five to make it easier, right? So five and five. So in three months, we put on five pounds of muscle and we took off five pounds of fat. It's a phenomenal exchange. But guess what happens on the scale? Zero. Because we added five and we took five away. So your weight stays the same. But guess what? You look way better. You feel way better. You're much stronger mentally and physically. So understanding and adopting the idea that, hey, me losing weight is not helping my body composition. We need to get rid of that, right? We'll lose weight over time because guess what? When you put on muscle, like Matt and I have discussed throughout this podcast, you are going to increase your resting metabolic rate. So you're going to burn more calories at rest. And if you're someone who's like, I want to burn more calories, okay, let's get you on a good, healthy, balanced diet. And if anything, which we're going to get into our next topic, increase passive, very low stress cardio. Go for walks. Go outside, walk, right? You want, you want to burn an extra 200, 300 calories a day? Don't reduce your calories. Go, go walk. Go walk for 45 minutes a day, 60 minutes a day. Tell me how damn good you feel. The vitamin D, the fresh air, the nature, you're going to burn your excess two to 300 calories just doing that by itself. And you're not reducing or restricting yourself from proper nutrients your body needs to grow. It's just that simple. Uh, let me let me piggyback before we move on real quick off of what you just said because I think it's important because I've mentioned a few times how people are looking for you know solutions to problems that don't exist or more importantly that they're trying to they're trying to get a short term result while compromising the long term integrity of their health right so when you were just talking about the typical weight loss ratio or the fact that you're not interested or I wouldn't say I don't want to see the scale move down I don't really care if it does though I think that's what I would say about my clients like in the first month if if they're not dropping weight. And, they, and there's a and there's that fair exchange of fat to muscle growth. I'm totally fine with that scale not moving. If we take a look though at something like a a, three, a, a typical three month casual workout, change your diet. Let's start getting you more leaning towards a healthier life, right? Typical three month result, you'll see like 15 to 20 pounds of weight loss, and you might see like four to five pounds of muscle growth. That's in a typical well coached healthy adult that's not dedicating two hours a day to this they're just Mm -hmm. eating better and working out more often with somebody who knows their shit right so you take that result that result has more integrity holds up better over time in terms of your long-term metabolic health right that person has done it right they're taking time to create those slow controlled sustainable adaptations and the result at the end of that means a better balance of muscle to fat, which then makes you more metabolically active and then takes you another step towards the overall goal. To me, what is my overall goal at any time is metabolic health, not how light I can be, not my body fat. What I want is to be able to live my life at a comfortable, healthy body fat without walking around every day counting every goddamn calorie I eat, every gram of carbs I eat. Does this have sugar in it? Oh, my God, does this have honey? I had three grams of sugar earlier today. That's going to take me like what, how can I, I don't, I don't get how you can live like that. I would rather put in a steady amount of consistent work over a longer period of time and to get an easy, sustainable, enjoyable result. Makes sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. And like I said, what Matt was saying, jumping off that, yeah, if I'm dealing with someone who wants to lose 5, 10 pounds, like that's not a big goal for me, right? We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to start off slow. And, and again, if you put it in terms of like, hey, we're going to work around maintenance off the bat, 
lower it by a couple hundred calories so we're a little bit of in a deficit whatever happens happens at that point you know we're gonna we're gonna have all the same practices we're gonna try to promote strength training we're gonna promote really proper sleep and stress management techniques and whatever happens happens like we're gonna go in the right direction eventually like everything we're doing all the right shit so we don't need to worry about the result like matt said if it's five pounds of fat loss and two pounds of muscle gain phenomenal that might not be in your personal genetic makeup for this to happen it might be a one-on-one -one exchange or two and two but if you happen to lose a little bit more fat using the same exact principles matt uses and i uses phenomenal right but over time trust the process and i guarantee you're going to see a phenomenal result okay guys this is a good point to take a break right now and we're going to jump into number three and or four and five when we get back okay guys back at it that was for our sponsor break <laughs> still looking for one if, if you know one let us know <laughs> <laughs> number four guys using stationary cardio equipment properly so um often you, you, you know matt and i will well, at least I'll, I'll i'll say myself i'll chirp people that are just doing static cardio all the time just because it's like usually they're doing it not based on they're not trying to become like this cardio machine right they're not trying to become someone who's running marathons or ultras or doing triathlons they're just doing cardio because they think it's actually like really helping their body composition like this is the right thing i need to be doing and it's again, it's just that mistaken understanding education or lack of education that is limiting their results. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not an appropriate way to use these stationary cardio pieces of equipment. Now, what are those pieces of equipment? You can look at uh, a rower, you can look at an elliptical, um, a treadmill, a spin bike, Matthew Bacon's favorite, a spin bike. Um, what's the one like the with the, with the arms, Matt, and the and the the lift, the airdyne? The, the, yeah, the airdyne. Um, so there's, those are kind of stationary ones. And that, now, there's a really good way to use these, right? Now, like we talked about earlier, if we're looking for a therapeutic trigger session or in-between session, right, it's a great opportunity to jump on a stationary piece of equipment just to kind of get that blood flow um, and that oxygen into the muscle, right? Great way to do that. Um, in terms of fat burning, I would much rather see interval training, right? Obviously, that's just going to be a way more effective rate for you to burn fat without increasing cortisol uh, and without losing or losing muscle, right? The idea is to obviously preserve muscle if we're going to do a hit class like that, or we can have a nice exchange where we're, we're doing a hit kind of workout on one of these stationary things like a sprint on a treadmill, for example. We're actually probably going to maybe build a little, little, bit, little bit of muscle there, right? So there's a proper way to use these depending on your goals, but just staying on a bike for an hour, pedaling in one cadence, isn't really good. It's not really doing you much good. And I'll let Matt take take off on this one because I know he had a post recently talking about spin bikes, and the community came at oh, him, came man, at him yeah. hard. The the peloton the peloton army came after me. Ooh, was, uh... peloton. Now I don't know I don't know what the peloton workouts look like, so I'm not gonna pretend that I do know. And it might be it I might be a, a good one. Is it good? Listen, man, they, they are what they are. There's, there's, you know, the vast majority of them revolve around a spin bike. That's that's the product, okay. right? So, so they, they have st there. There are times, like, granted, there are times when they get them off the bike and they'll do some push-ups and shit. But, so how do we you know? use these pieces of equipment most effectively for the average person who's looking to keep a preserve lean muscle tissue, um, get back to a nice tough session, have some good recovery, and maximize fat burning potential? I, I think. Okay, so so let let's start with like, if your thing is treadmill running, yeah, I don't want to take it away from you, 
right? Like, I, if you're a thing, if you really love going but, into the gym and running on the treadmill for 45 minutes, and that's an escape for you, please don't let anything that I say or that you say, you know, kind of knock that from your life. Like, go in. If that's a therapeutic regimen for you, then then I would I would absolutely support it because it's certainly not going to. It's not gonna. Some light jogging on a treadmill is not gonna hinder your growth. It's just not gonna really do anything for you, right? Like, there's so much. Like, say you're going into the gym and you're one of those people who should be in the gym for an hour to an hour and fifteen minutes tops. If you have a you know a family and and you need to expedite your workout time, there's just so much more that you could be doing and spending your time on that would be so much more beneficial to you, regardless of what your goal is. So that's where I have a problem with, you know, kind of extended steady state cardio in gyms. It's like when you're looking, what's the goal? Okay, the goal of most people is either weight loss or strength gain, right, or muscle gain. Weight loss or growth or muscle gain, for very few lucky people, it's performance related. No matter what one of those avenues you're looking at, steady state indoor cardio is not, it's not advantageous for the result, right? If your goal is to lose weight, I can give you 50 better things to do. If your goal is to build muscle, certainly you don't want to be jogging on a treadmill or spending your time on a spin bike. If your goal is to get stronger, well, we don't even need to talk about it because you're not going to get any stronger. You're not going to get any better at doing anything on a spin bike aside from spinning, Mm -hmm. right? So where can we use them? We can use them for very specific methods of development. For example, spin bikes. I don't have a problem with spin bikes. And I said this to a few people. I'm like, you're, you're saying that I'm trashing spin. I'm not trashing spin bikes. I'm not trashing the, the – they, they, everybody got so offended. Here's why everybody got so offended with that. All the Peloton people, and this is for you if you're listening right now, you weren't actually disagreeing with what I was saying. You were fucking pissed at yourself for spending $4,000 on a piece of equipment you're already sick of, and you're trying <laughs> to convince yourself that it was a good purchase because your wife or your husband is bitching at you every day for that dumb thing that doesn't get used in the basement so that's why you were angry so don't take it out on me right but you can use a spin bike very effectively on for example if you are training an athlete in a a very power oriented sport and you're using that to do some interval sprint work you know fantastic use of a spin bike same thing with an athlete who runs or even you know a hockey player on their feet something like that you can do use treadmills to do phenomenal sprint work right but to just hop on them when your goal is weight loss i think a lot of people just hop on them man because they run out of ideas i really do because i think a lot of people just don't know what else to fucking do so they they go in they jog think man you don't need to learn how to run or ride a bike really right yeah we're we're we grow up doing these things. So it's yeah. it's easy. It's comfortable. Like there's no technique involved. Go that's under a very good point. get under yeah. a bar and do a proper squat and that's just hard. Like that takes yeah. mobility, it takes strength, it takes, you know, uh working on imbalances. Like you need to really perfect that form. There's so many mechanical issues that could go wrong. So you don't do it because you don't know how to do it or you can't do it. Yeah. Spin bike, it's easy. That's why you see it's on the outside of the gyms. You're in your own little bubble, basically, and it's it's easy. It's comfortable, and and you get a good workout if you do it right. Because because you, you're well, you get a good workout in terms of that. You get a sweat going, and then you see the calories. You see 500 calories burned. Oh my god, dude! I can crush 500 calories when I get home within three minutes with a protein shake, right? Yeah. You want to do stuff that is increasing your metabolic rate. If you think the 600 calories that you burn during a cardio session is as effective as burning 300 during a strength training session or 200, 
but not taking in consideration the increased resting rate that your calories may burn, like you're, you're, you're horribly mistaken, right? Like you can't just, because again, where does it end? Do you just keep doing more cardio? Because eventually your body adapts, right? And chances are if you're doing a whole bunch of cardio to lose weight and burn fat, you're probably in a deficit. So guess what? When you're in a deficit and you're trying to lose excess calories through a stationary cardio equipment, your body will say, Hey man, we're already only eating 1300 calories. Now you want to burn excess 600? Like we're not going to do that. So your body gets really good at preserving. And they yep. did a really cool study that they followed a tribe. I don't know, somewhere that they're a hunter-gatherer tribe, right? And all day long they're on their feet, they're moving, they're running, they're gathering, they're they're taking down prey. So you would think these guys would burn a shit ton of calories. But guess what? They don't eat a lot of food. So they got really good at preserving their calorie expenditure. So they are only burning like a very average amount of calories per day, even though they're on their feet all day long, because guess what? They didn't have a lot of muscle mass and they couldn't afford to have all those calories just spit out of their body. Yeah. But let's be very, let's be very clear to anybody listening at home. That's not you. That is not you. It's not going to be you. So you're not going to have a successful (laughs) athletic gym career by reducing your your calories. Yeah. Yeah, six months. So yeah. Yeah. So the best ways I say it, I say recovery is one of them. Um, so increased work capacity. I could use it on my off days or post workout, just as a general, just kind of keep my legs flowing. Uh, and it can increase yep. your work capacity in a strength session tomorrow. Um, cool downs, removal of lactic acid and waste. Um, Ten minutes shows great results. If you can do yep. that, at, yep. that's walking on an incline, hiking. Just simple stuff. Nothing stressful to the body. And then fat. But the, bur- important, the important thing there was 10 minutes, right? When yeah. you said 10 minutes. That's it. Don't hop on there for 40. That's no. not, you know. That's all you need. need. 10, 10 minutes walking at, at a brisk pace, and you're going to remove all that lactic acid. For the majority, I think it's like 68% gets removed within the first, um, like, three minutes, or, or and then the rest is in 10 minutes or something. And then you have fat burning finishers. I like them as if you want to do, like, a Tabata, or you want to do a 30 and 30, 30 on, 30 Hell off. Yeah. You know what? Bang out four, six minutes of that, eight minutes of that. I'm telling you, that's probably going to be the hardest thing you do all day long, all week long probably, if you're doing it properly. If you're doing it right and that 30 seconds is a hard 30 seconds, you'll be killer. Okay, guys, final one here, uh, five common fitness and health trends that need fixing. Um, This is a cool one. I really like this one because Matt kind of obviously uh, prefaced it earlier, but lifts you don't do but should do. So I'll kind of start off with the general big Functional movements, I think everybody should do, and this might be obvious. Um, and we'll get Matt to go into more specifics and talk about rotation a little bit. Um, but I like the idea of a, you know a push, uh, a, a squat, a hinge, uh, a press, right, a pull. Sorry. So the big movements, and if you're not doing them, you should definitely invest time into because again, they're the biggest movements, they're the best bang for your buck. They're going to release the most amount of you know growth hormone, testosterone. Um, squats, so many different variations. Obviously, majority of people probably do them, um, but you got to make sure they're in all your workouts, right? And to some degree, there's a lot of fun ways to do it. Um, I like you know a vertical press. Um, because again, it's a very functional movement, right? We're putting boxes away, putting things in cupboards. Um, a deadlift, when you know how to do it properly, again, a lot of different variations of it. Um, it's a good hinge as well, a row. Um, typically, I, I like the bent row um, if you're doing it properly as well because it engages the biceps, really kind of hits the back, works on a good hip hinge position as well. I would suggest pull-ups and chin-ups. Uh, unfortunately, the majority of people can't do a chin-up or pull-up, right? So... You know, to say those as a functional movement, you absolutely need to do. Um, obviously, you can work your way up into it, 
But uh, until then, I kind of chill out a little bit or obviously, you know, work on the development through negatives. Um, bench press, chest press, obviously the most bang for your buck in terms of a press, more of a horizontal press. Um, and then when you can do it really well, and this does take technique, I love the kettle, <coughs> excuse me, the kettlebell swing as a conditioning tool and, and the great hip hinge movement pattern. I think it's probably one of the best bang for your buck strength and conditioning movements I'll use and incorporate with my clients and myself in terms of preserving muscle mass or putting some lean tissue on and actually building the strength while burning fat. So I really like that movement, uh, a part of my repertoire. And those are kind of like the big bases that I, I definitely go to when I'm starting out with a client. And if you were to do those three days a week, um, you're going to get a, a massive result. But I'll let Matt kind of dive into lifts you should do that you're definitely not doing because they're, they're really hard. They're very technical, very mechanical, but they're very effective. Yeah, let's go. I'll take it into things. Let's go things that you should do that you're probably not doing. Number one, jump jump train your jumping ability jump please for the love of god jump as a human you need to be able to do it right it's it's non-negotiable you have to be able to jump and not many people um as a a consistent part of their training have you know broad jumps box jumps vertical jumps all like combination jumps and and that's real life stuff man so so add jumps in so we won't go into more detail than that but um one of my favorite exercises for strength development in the world is a turkish getup I, I love Turkish get-ups, and not many people – people don't do them and not because they don't like them. They don't do them because they've never been taught. And so that would be a, a, that would be one little tiny piece of advice that I would give you. Go out, get some good instruction on how to perform a proper Turkish get-up. Um, what, what's the benefit, Matt? There is so much different mechanical movement that goes into one lift, right? Like when you look at the starting position and just – just to be able to get posted up onto the forearm, then up onto the palm is a chore alone, like what is what would be known as a typical half get-up, right? But then to elevate that hip with a significant amount of weight over top of your body, where you look at the stresses placed, you know, you kind of have that T column from the dumbbell to the posted arm on the floor with kind of the hip off. There's just so much brilliant abdominal activity and there's so many moving parts and moving components to it. So you're forced to kind of work around a weight where in most other exercises, you're manipulating the weight to you, right? Like in most exercises, when we're rowing, when we're pressing, when we're pulling, right, we're, we're manipulating the weight. When we have a Turkish getup, the weight's basically staying constant. It's staying put because as soon as it drifts, you're fucked, right? Mm-hmm. So you're manipulating your body and you're learning mechanically how to move your body around a weight. And it's a fantastic exercise because of that, because those are hard to find. Um, number three uh, kind of playing off of that is spend time over your head. And most guys, a lot of most guys, most people don't most people, you said it already. And I absolutely agree with you. Most people do not do enough press work, right? They focus on pushing away from their body. And they don't do enough press work. If you can't, I, I would say this, if you're a, if you're a guy who works out regularly and you cannot at least push press your body weight, there's something wrong with you. You need to train better. Like you need to, you need to focus on your overhead work if that's you. Right. And I'm not knocking it. It's just most people don't train over their head enough. So they're not strong enough over their head. And then they, they start over time limiting or becoming limited in their shoulder mobility because they're not used to carrying much weight over their head. And then on top of that, right. The most, essentially the most vulnerable, you think about it, the most vulnerable state the human body can be in is what? fully extended 
right? If somebody was going to hit you, what would you do? If somebody was going to punch you in the stomach, what would you curl everything in, right? Because it's your most protective state. It's the strongest position you can be in. Athletically speaking, strongest position we can be in is in tight, knees bent, butt back, ready to move, right? So it stands to reason that the most vulnerable position the human body can be in is a fully extended state with a weight overhead, right? So if we're looking at that, if we can accept that, then it also stands to reason that if we train ourselves to be strong in our most vulnerable state, that's going to translate quite nicely over into strength in our more controlled or more athletic domains. Love it. I love it. Um, and then one thing I would add into it, which is, uh, again, the, all these the things Matt kind of mentioned are a little bit more uh, advanced. You'd have to work on. Like, it's a skill. Like, I mean, you're not just going to go tomorrow and do a Turkish getup. Like, you could do it and be really bad, really shitty. But, yeah, get some instructional video. Guys, like, you have an access right here. Matthew Bacon, you can contact and you can message. And I guess what we're here for. We're coaches. We're trainers. We're, we're wellness and fitness educators. Like, we're here as a resource for you guys. Um but I would say I would say getting into sprinting because how many people like I couldn't even imagine yeah. somebody like a thirty five year old and, that, and like you can't sprint man a thirty five year old is not doing any work if they try to sprint they are gonna pull a hamstring like they're yeah, they they like they are yeah. on them this isn't just like me hyperbole I'm not exaggerating but if I throw this guy on a hundred meter track. Right, he's gonna do a hundred meter sprint. I guarantee by fifty meters in, this dude's hammies are gonna blow the fuck up. Like it is the <laughs> real deal. And like, unfortunately, when he was seventeen and when he was fourteen, he probably would just get out of bed and just book it. Maybe not seventeen, but yeah, maybe ten and twelve. Right, you can get out, you can sprint at any point, and then slowly but surely, you start degrading. Your body becomes super susceptible to injury um, and, and muscle strains and pulls and tears when you don't do it for so long. But it's so effective. It's so natural. So habitual. So um, biological. Logical, right? We always take running for granted, but learn how to sprint, right? Because it's, it's, it's just good to do, right? It's, it's very powerful movement, um, requires a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers, which is great for muscle development, uh, a, lot, a lot of hypertrophy there, great fat burning tool. If you want to do it in a safe way, if you're someone who hasn't sprinted in a little while, don't go to a flat surface, don't go to a turf, don't go to a track. That's just a recipe for disaster. Um, do something that's a little bit more of an incline, right? You can start off on a treadmill incline and do more like walking, hiking, and kind of working your way there or hills right um usually a softer surface naturally the incline is going to slow you down which is going to limit that 100 percent pace that you're at um it's a little bit safer right you're, you're way less prone to injury so it's something you got to work your way up to just like any of these exercises are you're not going to just jump out of bed if you've never done them before and be great at it tomorrow it takes time but learning those things, I love how Matt categorized it right like the jumping and, and the rotating and, and the overhead and, and the running it's just those, those are human behaviors that we're all just we, we should be able to do at, 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 a, at a moment's notice because it's evolutionary, right? We have to be able to, yeah, we're, maybe we're not getting uh, chased by a saber-toothed tiger anymore that we got to get the hell out of there. But at the same token, it's just good to be able to do. There's just there's just certain things as as a, like somebody who's trying to be an athlete, and this is this is very much for people who are in you know the younger years of their life, from you know twenty to forty five or fifty or whatever that is, even beyond. But like there's like if you to me, this is just me, and there's people that would probably think this is ridiculous. But if you can bench press four hundred and fifty pounds, but you can't do a somersault, that's hilarious. <laughs> It's hilarious. Don't be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. You want to be the person who's strong, who's the best, strongest version of themselves, but you can still move. 
Right. But, I, but I think that's the thing, man. Strength is that. It's movement, right? It, it's it, when you have the definition of strength of being, I can just, you know, push 400 yeah. off my chest or I can squat 600. Yeah, that's a form of strength. But real mental, physical strength is a well-oiled ecosystem. And like you said, being able to run and jump and somersault and roll and, and move and protect yourself, that, that's real strength, right? That is everyday strength that you're, you're never going to not rely on. 100%. That was good stuff. All right, guys, like stuff. always, you can check this podcast out, Fear Being Average on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You're probably listening to it on one of those platforms right now, so I don't need to tell you that. But this episode in particular is being recorded, so I'm going to throw it on my YouTube page at BrandonRanker365. Check it out. So if you want to see our face, you want to see how this Matthew Bacon guy actually looks, how big and tall and strong is he? You know, like he's pretty impressive, but let's actually see this guy in person. Um, you can check it out right there. In in his hoodie. Uh, you can obviously follow me on Instagram at brandonricka365. You can check out my website, brandonricka365.com, where I have fitness programs, nutrition programs. Uh, you can join my True Coach coaching app as well, where we give you some good basic workouts to do to crush it right now. Matthew Bacon, you can find him at... Coach underscore Matthew Bacon on Instagram. Uh, just my name on Facebook. Best place. 180 Wellness is my clinic. Yeah, guys, if you want any mobility work, we really uh, obviously talked about it in this set, in this little podcast here, but those therapeutic sessions or trigger sessions in between your big workouts. Um, and again, don't think of it as um, doing mobility once you get hurt. Use it as a preemptive tool, right? So you don't get hurt. That's going to be way cheaper and way more effective and way healthier to do, right? So use those tools for your advantage before you actually really, really need them. Yeah, it's going to do you a great service and going to add a lot of longevity and health span to your life. All right, guys, great episode. We'll see you on the next one.